who who Jesus is defines what the church is. And in a world where there are a lot of abuses of the title Christian and church, where there is a, a, a lot of confusion and, and frustration over this whole church thing, we would be remiss if we did not take the time to look at the scriptures and see Jesus as he was and is and shall be. Here at Bedford Road, our job is not to put on a show. Our job is, our place is not to impress you with how awesome our church is. It is our desire that we disappear into the background and all you see is him. I invite you to turn to the book of John and chapter 20. If you're visiting with us um, this morning, we are in week 45 of a series on John. And next week is the last week. So everybody can cheer that I'm finally done. It started a little bit after last Easter and uh, we took a little break for Advent and Christmas. But we arrive in John chapter 20. And verse 1, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early and while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple and they were going toward the tomb and both of them were running together but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first and stooping to look in he saw the linen cloths lying there but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. Now I want to pause for just a minute so you get the right image here. Mary Magdalene was a demoniac when Jesus found her. She was possessed of demons. Who knows what they were doing to her? Probably a young woman. Jesus cast out the demons and set her on the right path. And um, There were so many women who followed Jesus who could have been mentors and, and, and helpers in her journey. And and as her final act, she thought of honoring her teacher and her healer. She had gone to the tomb on the first day of the week to go in and make sure his body was properly prepared. Now that tomb, um, despite all the depictions that you see in movies and TV, the entrance to these tombs is usually about yay high and about that wide. And if you think of it, it kind of makes sense because you put bodies in there. You don't want a giant open door. Um, Now, when you sealed that tomb, you used a stone that was much bigger than that. Elsewhere in the other Gospels, it says that the the women who came came to the tomb, they were worried they wouldn't be able to move the stone. It was too big. Um, And so people are like, well, it must have been like, 
I don't know if you've ever had to clear a boulder from your yard. It doesn't have to be that big for you not to be able to move it. It's not like we have cranes. But they come to the tomb and they see that he's not there. They run back and they tell Simon Peter and the disciple whom Jesus loved, which is John, the author of this gospel. And they take off. Now Simon Peter is in middle age. He's probably in his late 30s, early 40s. He's got a mother-in-law and a wife and a house and a successful fishing business that he's left. And he seems to be the patriarch of his, his family. He's kind of the guy holding everything together. And, and probably now that I'm in my 40s, I recognize why this other disciple outruns him. Because John is probably about 18, 19 years old and hasn't discovered that his knees will hurt later. And so he is taking off. But when they get to the tomb, which they know where it is, when they get to the tomb, John stops at the outside, probably wearing his Sunday best. He doesn't want to dive. And apparently, Peter comes running and just dives head first into the opening. Now, maybe he couldn't stop. Because again, being 40 years old, 40, in my 40s now, I wish I was 40, um, you, you, you know, you'd, you can't stop on a dime anymore. Once that momentum gets going, you just keep moving. And Simon Peter goes in and he sees, in verse 7, in verse 6, he saw the linen cloths lying there. That was the, the, the cloth, and if you were here Friday night, um, uh, Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea had wrapped Jesus' body and 75 pounds of spices in linen cloth. It's a lot of spices. And they saw the linen cloth lying there and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in a place by itself. My, my mother one time read this and said, See, Jesus' mom taught him to fold stuff. <laughs> I think she missed the point, but... Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and he believed. Now I want you to understand, he does not believe that Jesus... He's been raised from the dead. He doesn't understand this. For as yet, in verse 9, they did not understand the scriptures, the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary Magdalene, in verse 11, stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head, and one at the feet. I've always wondered why Simon, Peter, and John didn't see them. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and she saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And then Jesus said to Mary, and said to her, Mary. She turned and answered to him in Aramaic, Ravoni. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. 
And Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said things to her. Now, John and Mark are the only two Gospels that record um, that uh, Mary, that Jesus first appears to Mary. And, and Mark actually may have added it. There's some evidence that, that um, we have kind of the first part of Mark and then he adds the, the last set of verses a little bit after he writes everything else. And this is actually pretty common in ancient books. We actually observe it. Um, the, the best example of it is the book of Romans because the Apostle Paul uh, just didn't know how to end a letter. And so he ends the book of Romans like four times. And it's almost like he comes back. He's like, oh yeah, I forgot this. Oh yeah, I forgot this. And so maybe Mark adds his last few verses because um, he, he's younger. Mark is not one of the disciples. He's, he's a servant of the, uh, uh, works with uh, the apostles Paul and Peter. I mean, he's younger. He's actually much younger even than John. So um, he probably outlived John. But this, this journey that Mary Magdalene goes on, this conversation she has with Jesus, it's unique in John's gospel, the way that it appears in John's gospel. And I just want to spend a little bit of time with her. Next week we'll talk about the disciples and the aftermath of the resurrection with them. But John views Mary Magdalene very much um, on a journey here. It starts in verse 2, when she goes to Simon Peter and to John and she says, I don't know. They have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have laid him. I don't know. Her journey begins with not having an answer. Now we live in a world where the answer to every question is available with a quick Google search. Let me rewind. We live in a world where a answer to every question is available on a Google search. It may not be the correct answer, but there's definitely an answer out there. Uh, I can't tell you the number of times that I have had to very gently and kindly remind people that just because it's on Facebook does not mean it is true. But Mary comes to this moment and the first thing she says is, I don't know what's going on. How hard is it for us as human beings to make the admission that we don't know? We like to present ourselves to others as confident and strong. And you should do the work and put in the effort and achieve excellence so that people, it's not just a perception, it's a reality. But then we get in a situation we don't know the answer. And I know every parent in this room has done this. You get asked a question by your child and you just give them what you hope is a good answer and pray that they forget that you answered the question. Because if your child is like my child, um, if you give her an answer, she will research it and make sure that you are right. You do not, Ariel is not one to be messed with when there are facts involved. 
to admit, I don't know. Because let's be honest, she couldn't have known. The resurrection of Jesus is a one time in all of the history of the universe event. How on earth would Mary, how would she even have arrived at that decision to to believe that? She just thinks somebody came and took Jesus' body. Now, why does she think they've taken his body? The ultimate insult in Second Temple Judaism would be to desecrate the body of a dead teacher. To leave him out, to expose his body, to be attacked by animals, to be uh, dismembered and broken. And so her, her healer, her, her Messiah, her, her teacher, her friend... For his body to be spoiled and, and, and broken, it's, it's a breaking of her heart. So she goes and finds the two guys she figures can do something. Simon Peter, because he never thinks before he does something. And John, because John, the apostle that, the, that Jesus loved, John um, is known to the household of the high priest, Caiaphas. And John seems to be able to move around Jerusalem with impunity. While the rest of the disciples are terrified that they might get arrested and carried off, John is standing at the base of the cross. He has some kind of protection because of who he is. So she goes and finds Simon Peter and she finds John. She says they took his body. Because John will find out where it is and Simon Peter will be dumb enough to barge in and grab him. When they go to verify and they see that the body is gone, the cloth, they're confused and they walk off and we'll deal with them next week. But Mary stays at the tomb. She bends down and she looks in and she sees the two and can you know, get in a, you know, two guys in white inside a tomb with an entryway this high. She says to him, they say to her, woman, why are you weeping? The uncertainty, the confusion, the frustration, the, 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 uh, the darkness in her heart about what might be going on with Jesus, of course she's weeping. She thought he was going to be the Messiah, he was going to be the Christ, he was going to fix everything that was wrong in their world. He was going to be the salvation of Yahweh. He was going to expel the Romans. He was going to deal with all the demons. He was going to bring healing and health and happiness into the world. And he's dead and now his body's gone. Why am I weeping? Because he's, he's been taken. But then she turns around. And I do not know how Jesus manages, the resurrected Jesus manages to not be recognized. I don't know if he somehow could supernaturally disguise himself or if he looked different because they had plucked his beard out. I mean, if you've ever had a beard and a child and you've shaved the beard off, your child looks at you and goes, put it back. (laughs) But she doesn't recognize him. She thinks he's a gardener. She asks him about it. Well, he says to her the same question. But, all through the Gospel of John, 
when Jesus speaks the word woman. There's something about what he says and the way that he talks. The, the honor that he gives to them. And she says to him, if you've carried him away. And Jesus just has to say one word. Her name. Not demon-possessed, not dirty, not broken, but I know you. And as soon as she realizes that he knows her, she knows him. I don't know where they've taken him. All of the frustration, all of the confusion, all the darkness, depression, weeping, washed away in the single moment that she realizes the guy in front of her is the one that all of her hopes and dreams were pinned on. And he is answering her question, just like Jesus always does, out of left field. Why are you weeping? She thinks he care, he's concerned about her condition, her situation. All he wants her to do is look at him and hear her name on his lips. In Mary's journey, we see our own journey to faith. When she talks to Jesus, she takes off at a run. There's a lot of running in John's gospel. It's like a Doctor Who episode. And she takes off and she, is, she's, she runs to the disciples and she says what? She says, I have seen the Lord. Not I believe or I have a theory. But in that moment when Jesus says her name, all of the disparate pieces of her faith journey fall into place. And she finally understands what he meant what he meant to the Samaritan woman when he said, I will give you, the water that I will give you will cause a spring inside of you and you will never thirst again. What Jesus meant when he said the Holy Spirit, the breath of God, it, it, it moves in ways that we can't understand. What he meant when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. What he meant when he said, I must be glorified. What he meant when he said that he must suffer and die. What he meant when he, speaking to his disciples time and time and time again, told them the place that I have to go, you can't go because I'm the only one who can. All that was floating in the weirdness and mystery and, and gray matter of her life because how could someone ever, after they've died, do the things that Jesus promised he would do and yet when he speaks her name, she realizes all of it is true. All of it is true. Our journey of faith and if you're a follower of Christ, if you're a Christian this morning, you've been on this journey. And if you're not a follower of Christ, maybe you're on this journey. There are all these pieces of faith that seem to make sense but don't quite fit together. Somebody has handed you a 1,000-piece puzzle of a snowy day. And you are trying to just figure out bits and pieces of that. 
There will be a come a time when it will just start to fall in place. And we don't have the advantage of Jesus standing in front of us saying our name. But I believe very strongly, and John seems to agree with this, in 1 John he says that Jesus is our advocate before the throne of God, the only mediator between God and man. The Apostle Paul and John also, they speak about our names being written in a book of life. And I believe that in heaven, in the eternal state where God is on the right hand, or Jesus is on, seated on the right hand of the Father, when Jesus speaks our name, we are saved. And maybe you're on the journey of faith and you're, you're in the I don't know phase or the I just want to figure this out phase of the why are you weeping? I just want to know. Do you know where his body is? My heart and prayer for you is that you realize You are this morning surrounded by the greatest testimony of the truth of Jesus Christ's resurrection that you will ever see. The church, despite all of her bruises and brokenness, for 2,000 years, people have given their lives to serve the one who was raised from the dead, believing that he had given them eternal life. For 2,000 years, the message of the gospel has transformed lives and our world. And yes, people abuse the church and Christianity. But the message remains the same. Jesus raised the first thing he wanted to do was to let one of his friends know He was alive. For those of us who have come to faith in Christ, He has called your name. For those of you that are asking the questions, trying to sort out the pieces, you say, what do I do? When will this make sense? Enough sense for me to say, all right, yes, okay, I'll follow Jesus. Now, you might sneer about that, but that was literally my confession of faith. All right, fine. You beat me down. I tried to resist. I tell people every Easter, I am an atheist who just can't get past Jesus. I would love to not believe all the stuff that is in the Bible. I would love to blame the ills of the world on Christians. I would love to say that this is all lies and foolishness but I just can't get past the one who called my name and when I turned and I called him master and savior and lord he gave me new life his holy spirit the bible the apostle peter says quickens us he gave me hope He showed me truth. And the pieces finally fit. Now I grew up in a pastor's home. I had all of the bits and pieces I needed. 
And even when I came to faith, there was a lot of sorting to go out and go around. And if you want to know about all that, you can talk to to Tom and Barb Hathcote who are sitting here because they knew me when I was a teenager hanging out in their house with their sons. But when the resurrected Lord calls, are you willing to turn and hear his voice? And trust that he will do what he says he will do. I can't make you become a Christian. I can't convince you to take the step of faith that it takes to say to Jesus, Yes, I repent of my sins. I turn to you as Savior and Lord. No one can make you do that. No one here is going to try to force you or manipulate that you into that. But if there's that itching, nagging, bits of pieces of wanting to believe but still not sure and how do I sort this, I would ask you to put your trust in him and see if he doesn't make the puzzle fit. That he doesn't clear the confusion. Open your eyes. Open your heart. Open your mind. And see the truth. Would you join me in a word of prayer this morning? Jesus, you are the risen one. It is through you that all good things flow. And over history, we who take your name have not always done a good job of representing you. And yet, the testimony of your power is in your people. Help us to be letters, epistles, messages gospels for those to see for those around us to see and read and for those that are still sorting this whole thing out lord may you bring us to a place a conversation a moment a realization when they place their faith and trust in christ that we might celebrate not numbers and additions and growing churches but another name called out across the eternal plain of heaven redeemed and saved by Jesus our risen Lord Jesus you are the only reason we are here there is no one else May your glory be manifest in the world through this church in the coming week. We pray this in your precious and holy name.